Holy Week presents a special challenge for us. I need to ask you, as best as you can, to act like you don't know that Easter's coming. Because that changes the way that we experience Holy Week. From the anticipation of Palm Sunday to that time of anxious experience of the presence of Jesus on Monday, Thursday. To the trauma of Good Friday. My invitation for us is that we experience the week as it comes to us. But remember, in the words of Tony Campolo, Sunday's coming. But let's experience it piece by piece as we move forward. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to look with me at the second chapter of Philippians, and I'll be reading verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Anybody watch any Braves baseball on TV this weekend? Um, I'm not really a baseball fan. I'm a Braves fan. So uh, it was fun to watch and join in the celebration. It was fun to watch clips from the parade last spring after the Braves won the World Series. To see crowds thronging people from all walks of life coming together to cheer on the Braves. Parades are like that. They bring different people together, folks coming from different backgrounds and experiences, but there's generally one thing that they're there to celebrate. And sometimes they're just there for the party. But anyway, um, Priscilla remembers a time as a young teenager that her parents went down to Miami uh, for New Year's weekend, and, and they went to the Orange Bowl parade. It was packed. It was crowded. And she and her brothers got separated from their parents. And somehow, who knows how it happened, they ended up with grandstand seats and watched the parade from the grandstand while their parents were six rows back 
bumping elbows with people, wondering where in the world the kids had gotten off to. But parades do that. They bring us together. What we call Palm Sunday in Jerusalem that day, as pilgrims were arriving into town for the Passover, traveling rabbis with their disciples, their followers. We, we grow up with the idea, since we see the world through our Christian lens, that the whole day was about Jesus. It wasn't. There would have most likely been a series of traveling rabbis coming through, and the crowd would welcome them each in because Jerusalem was a melting pot of, of messianic hopes and dreams and fears. And in the crowd that day, there would have been zealots like Simon, those of a political party who were ready to overthrow their Roman occupiers, even by force. They would have been standing next to tax collectors like Levi, who made their living collecting taxes for this same Roman government that the zealots were attempting and hoping to run out of the area. There were hotheads like the sons of thunder, James and John. I am sure that lurking in the shadows, there was the presence of Rome. Soldiers, governing authorities, watching carefully. We know that there were Jewish religious leaders there. They weren't joining in the welcome to Jesus. They were already critiquing and criticizing and trying to figure out what to do with this rabbi that was beyond their control. And I'm sure that there were some who gathered in Jerusalem every year with hope and faith that the Messiah would come, that God's promises would be fulfilled. Now, most of the traveling rabbis entering Jerusalem on that day had a message that would have appealed to one kind of audience. They each had their own group of followers. Um, and the crowds that accompanied them would welcome uh, the rabbi in that same spirit of sameness. You know, there's always a very thin line between fans and fanatics. And so each teacher would have his fans applauding his arrival and probably some fanatics willing to do almost anything to see their rabbi sway the crowd. But Jesus, Jesus wasn't just an ordinary itinerant preacher. His new way of talking about God and His singular message of the coming of the kingdom called out a variety of different kinds of people who would shout, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But each one of them would see Jesus through a different lens. See Jesus in a different way. There were some who looked to Jesus and saw Him as that political challenger 
to the presence of Rome. There were some who would see him as a potential insurrectionist to turn things not upside down, but in their minds, back right side up. There were those who looked to Jesus as the one who would restore the rightful kingdom of David. And there were the, some who were there looking for another miracle. They had heard about Jesus healing the sick and, and feeding the crowds. They hadn't seen it yet. Maybe if they could be there that day, maybe they could see something this incredible happen. And there were some who were there just because it was the happen and place to be. Want to be seen and be a part of that kind of crowd. It seems as if there were as many different Jesuses as there were people in the crowd. Maybe more. <laughs> Makes me think of the old saying that um, wherever two Baptists are gathered, there'll be at least three opinions. Folks gathered together, but more going on. It's as if the Jesus that they applauded was the one who could do what they wanted done. The one who saw things their way. The Jesus who was on their side. Such was the crowd on that first Palm Sunday. But I can't help but wonder if things have changed all that much in the 2,000 years since. I hear about a lot of Jesuses these days. There's the macho, masculine Jesus, the strong man, the brave man, the man's man. There's the Jesus who's the defender of the status quo, the traditionalist. The ones for the folks who cry out the seven last words of the church, we ain't never done it that way before. There was the Jesus who condemns sinners, the defender of morality and righteousness. There's the Jesus who would just as soon tear it all down and blow it all up. Jesus, this radical reformer. There's an intolerant Jesus out there. There's a Jesus that performs and favors a particular brand of politics. There are lots of people who lay claim to the name of Jesus, but it still seems to be the Jesus who looks like them, who sounds like them, who loves who they love and who condemns the sins of others. I've noticed over the years when I preach, uh, Lorita, you, you're, you're, you're not a part of this. But generally, when a preacher preaches and gets a lot of amens, you know what that means? He's stepping on somebody else's toes. Because if the preacher steps on your toes, it's not an amen, it's an oh me. It gets real quiet. 
But you ever noticed how many people are claiming to speak in the name of Jesus and God, condemning others for their sins? Forgetting the word of Jesus to be careful about picking the speck out of your brother's eye while there's a two by four sticking out of yours? <laughs> Like our forebears of Jesus' day, we cry out, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. But if we listen carefully, do we hear Jesus respond? Not everyone who cries out saying to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I think heaven is going to be full of surprises for us. I think the descriptions that the Bible gives us of heaven are, are there because it's beyond anything that we can put words to describe. You know, pearly gates and, and streets of gold, that means simply that the things that are most valuable in this world are construction materials in the next but I think there are going to be two major surprises when we get to heaven. One is who's there. And the other is who's not there. And folks, to be honest with you, I'm glad that it's God that makes those decisions and not me. But I tell you this, as I've told you over the last couple of years, I would whole rather welcome in those that God might sort out than to keep out those that God wants in. Not everyone who cries out, Lord, Lord, not everyone who waves the flag of Jesus will enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who will enter God's kingdom are the ones who do the Father's will. So thinking back to Philippians chapter 2. Golly, folks, this is a scary verse, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant by being made in human likeness and for being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross will we like jesus be willing to lay down our rights and our privileges. I hear a lot of Christians these days vociferously voicing their rights. But you know, I don't hear so many saying, these are my responsibilities. Will we be willing to lay down our rights and our privileges like our Jesus? Will we be willing to humble ourselves 
I find that to be the missing ingredient in so much debate, not that we have much genuine debate anymore, in so much arguing in our world today. That, that's out in the world outside of the church, and it's also in the world inside the church. Good golly, we could use a good dose of humility. Do you ever consider the possibility you might be wrong? That you might not know it all? That you might not be the only one who has a clear sense of the will of God? And that, you know, that's a preacher problem. There's something about all that hairspray sticking, you know, seeps down into the brain. I haven't had to worry about that in a long time, so it's, it's seeped out. But to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves in service. There are too many folks crying out the name of Jesus who are still stepping on others and pushing people out of the way to climb up the ladder of a personal and professional and political power instead of kneeling to serve. The old chorus from my youth ministry days says they will know we are Christians how? By our love. And how will they know our love? By our service. But serving others requires humility. Because it, it could mean that I've got to set aside what I want in order to take care of you and what you need. To humble ourselves in service and in sacrifice. That Jesus was obedient unto death. And not just any death, but the most painful, humiliating way of dying. To be stripped and publicly hung from a cross. And I know that's totally foreign, you know, regardless of your position on capital punishment, a good bit of the arguing today is, is, is there such a thing as the most humane way to kill somebody? That was, Rome wasn't worried about that. Crucifixion was designed to send a message. As painful as it was for the person being crucified, the message was for those who went by on that highway. This is what happens when you mess with Rome. Jesus sacrificed His very life. Will we lay down our rights and our privileges? Will we humble ourselves in service and sacrifice? Would this be what doing the will of the Father looks like? Will we let go? Will we let go of our longing for the mighty steed of power and mount the humble donkey of service? 
What could this look like in everyday life? I think we find a good picture of this in the first four verses of Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking out for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What could this look like for you and I today to live the kingdom in our world? It starts by seeking common ground with others. Too many times we look at people and we, we see our differences. And we focus on, on our differences instead of finding common ground. Finding that common ground of mutual respect and care. To lay aside our own selfish ambitions and pride. You see, there's, there's not really much room in our hearts for humility and pride to coexist. But to be willing to set aside our own ambitions, to set aside our own pride, to humbly think of others first. There's no harder place in the world to do that than Barrett Parkway. But I have a rule. It's just my rule. I'm nice to one person a day. So if you're the lucky one, I'll hold back and let you out. Not the one behind you. But if you're the one, I'll let one of you out. But do you ever come to one of those traffic places where it's merging and, and you're trying to be patient and wait in line and somebody comes around you on the left and hits their blinker and starts merging in in front of you? One, I will confess I'm stubborn and I'm going to do my best not to let you merge in front of me. <laughs> But my thought is, what makes you think that your time is more important than my time? But that's the way we live. But the way of Jesus to live the kingdom in our world today is to think of others first. To seek the welfare of others. Rather than being driven by a me first attitude. Now, most of us have been taught that if you don't blow your own horn, who's going to blow it for you? If you don't bring attention to yourself, who's going to bring attention to you? Folks, who says that the goal in life is to bring attention? Maybe we should be shining the spotlight on others. 
What could it look like in everyday life? We'll seek common ground with those around us. We'll lay aside our own selfish ambitions and pride so that we can humbly think of others first. And that instead of working on a me-first attitude, we will seek the welfare of others. So, which Jesus will we welcome and worship today? Which Jesus will we bear witness to in our world this Palm Sunday? The parade's starting. Let's pray. God, how we love You and thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus. who not only teaches us about Your love, but shows us how to live in Your love, and who gave Himself as the fullest expression of that love. God, help us to resist the temptation to follow the Jesus who looks like us and who agrees with us and who makes us feel good about ourselves. Help us to see the Jesus who comes in humility and service and sacrifice. And help us to follow. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.